This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. Hello, today on the podcast, I am talking to Katie Bell from Caffarina about how she followed in her father's footsteps and launched her own women's accessory brand. So Katie has had her brand for over six years now, and she's also about to launch a membership for businesses and influencers to help collaborate and grow their brands, which is super exciting. So Katie is going to talk to us all about bag designing, bag manufacturing, and she had lots and lots of useful advice about the sourcing and manufacturing process. This was a really great conversation, and I'm really excited to introduce to Katie. So hi Katie, thank you so much for being here. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh you're so welcome. Can we start with you please give an introduction to you, your business and what you sell? Yes, so my name is Katie and my business is called Katharina um, which came from my full name which is Catherine Serena. A lot of people think that my actual name is Katharina but it isn't. Um, so yeah Katharina is a range of bags for women and I design the bags myself, but I don't make them. So I manufacture them overseas. Brilliant. Thank you. I've got so many follow-on questions. <laughs> so first of all, Katie, what inspired you to start Katharina? Um, and did you have any, I know this is probably a big question, but did you have any background in bag design or manufacturing b- before that? Yes, yeah, so this might be a long answer, um, no but problem. I'm sure you won't mind. So I done fashion at university. I done fashion promotion. So I didn't want to do, funnily enough, I didn't want to do designing or anything. Um, I wanted to do the sort of styling, working for magazines, that sort of thing. Um, and I graduated and got, well, luckily, not luckily, but um, I got my dream job when I finished. Wasn't down to luck. It was down to hard work um, and interning quite a lot through um, the summer that I was at university. So yeah, I got my dream job working in London as a stylist or an assistant to a stylist. We were working with um, celebrities doing red carpet, magazines, um, and I absolutely loved it. It was completely what I wanted to do. But unfortunately, coming from a really small town in Norfolk, living in London um, just wasn't for me. I found myself really, really lonely. I didn't know anyone there. Um, so I was quite homesick and just couldn't really do it anymore. So I decided to move back home, but I also knew that if I moved back home, there was absolutely nothing there for me. Um, there's no fashion companies, no 
no businesses that I could go and work for um, that I'd be happy doing. So I decided to set up my own business. And that was mainly because my dad had a business himself and I'd grown up around it. Um, and he manufactures his own um, flight cases and storage cases. Um, so I had the idea while I was living in London, um, towards the end of my time there, I had the idea to create a version of it um, as a bag, if that makes sense. Um, it's probably hard to describe it without showing, but so he makes um the, the cases are for the light and sound industry. So what DJs use um and television production companies use. Um, but the home version of it was sort of uh, university trunks. I don't know if you've seen them, like boarding school trunks, steamer trunks, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I had the idea to do a version of it, a miniature version as a handbag. And so I spoke to my dad about it and he was on, he was very much on board with it. Um, so we actually started making them ourselves in his factory um, and briefcase versions, clutch bags, that sort of thing. And then we ended up obviously going to China later on and meeting with suppliers over there because making them ourselves just wasn't viable. So yeah, that was sort of the backstory. Brilliant. Thank you. When you said that making yourselves wasn't viable, but I've got lots more questions, but let's yep. touch on that one first. Yeah. Why was that? Was it volume? Was it cost? Was it everything? I'm just, I'm just really curious because I speak to lots of businesses who do something similar. They start production in house and then there's a little bit of a question mark, isn't there about yeah. should I outsource production? So I'm just, I'm curious on, on um, your experience because it might be a yeah. good gauge for someone if they're trying to make a similar decision. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether the actual goal from the start was to make them all ourselves full time or whether, or whether the idea was to just start it off that way and then go to China. I can't really remember, but anyway, it, Obviously, my dad's background was in making them on a larger scale. So obviously, all his machinery and tools were aimed at those larger scale pieces of wood and leather. Um, so that was very difficult. We were having to do it on a much smaller scale. We were having to get in much smaller pieces of um, metal for the corners and for the clasps. So it was a different different kettle of fish for my dad. And for me as well, I'd never made anything before. Um, so I was sewing on the sewing machine, um, doing all the leather to cover the bags. Um, and yeah, it just, it was going to be far too expensive. So the bags were going to cost hundreds of pounds. Um, and it was taking us like a week to make one. Whereas we knew if we'd have gone to China, which my dad had contacts over there anyway, we knew that if we'd have taken it over to them and shown them a sample, they'd be able to turn it around in, you know, a fraction of the time and a fraction of the cost so that's what we done. we actually um my dad took me to China with him on one of his business trips I wouldn't have been able to do it myself obviously um and still to this day six years later I haven't been able to go back there myself but he was in the position to take me and meet with his contacts um and it was yeah really an amazing trip I met with a few different suppliers I took the prototypes that me and my dad had made and they they pretty much made an exact sort of duplicate of it. Um, and I had them all produced then from that. That must have been such a good experience. And like yeah. how fortunate to be able to like give them a prototype and say, this yeah. is what I want. Because I yeah. think 
there was be so many challenges when you're dealing with a supplier from the UK and you're going back and forward on email and you might be sending photos or yeah. however you're doing it. Yeah. That must have just been a huge benefit to be able to say, this is exactly what I want and just Absolutely. hand because something over. Funnily enough, I'm in the middle of designing a new product at the minute and yeah, it's the same. I wish I could just jump on a flight now and go and meet with them in person so I could, you know, have a look through the fabrics and the zips. Um, but it's a lot harder with photographs. <laughs> so coming back to like the startup process, so had you, when you were studying at university, was design included in the course that you did? No. So when I done my college course, which was obviously before I went to university, we had, it was all design. It was fashion design but it was nothing to do with bags or accessories. It was just clothing. And funnily enough, the, the my worst part of the course was the drawing. I liked making, but I hated drawing. I still to this day hate drawing. Um, I'm not very good at it. But it, I suppose now I just use what's in my head and I can use, you know, images from the computer and I can put it together in a different way to actually sitting down and doing like digital illustrations, which is what I suppose professional designers would do nowadays. I do manage to get around it. Um, my factories, I suppose, know me now and that I send images and I just tell them what's in my head rather than actually sending them a, a proper um, illustration. I guess it really helps that you've got the relationship now, though, so you are able to do that. Yeah. I imagine, and I, I might be wrong, but I imagine if right at the beginning you hadn't had the opportunity to go to China and you were sort of, trying to get things going it could have taken yeah. possibly a lot longer yes um, yeah I hit this is something that comes up so much in conversations like the relationship with your supplier is just so important yes definitely I have changed the the one that I met with in um back when I started in 2015-16 um they actually closed down during covid so my my very first supplier isn't my current supplier um I have changed a couple of times but yeah the relationship is still really strong with my new ones and it's it's key to the business. And it sounds like coming back to the design side, am I right in thinking that your products, they're very similar to the products your dad was is manufacturing, but adapted. So did that help to have a starting point? Yeah. Or? So the starting point, um, it's funny because the very first product that I had was that, you know, the miniature, the miniature trunk. Um, that was the very first product that I launched with and it wasn't my best seller. And to this day, the clutch bags aren't my best seller. The rucksacks are, which is obviously a much more casual, functional functional bag. Um, so I've, I have changed quite drastically, really, to go from, you know, the, the tiny little box clutch into a rucksack. Um, but yeah, I, I focus my collection now around the sort of casual everyday bag. That's really interesting. And I will put a link to your website in the show notes. Encourage everyone to go and take a look oh, because obviously you. it's um it's hard to talk about products yes, and, design, is, yeah. and describe them. So I'm sure if everyone listens to this with their browser open, it will it will make help, more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it will really help. So that's yeah, so that's really yes, it sounds like um you have adapted though quite a lot in the last few years from your first products to now. So was there a big like learning curve between designing and manufacturing the you know, the boxy clutches yeah. to a rucksack because I'm imagining a rucksack's just got a whole load more components and yeah things to think about. Funnily enough, I I completely understand my customers now as well because when I first launched, 
I'm trying to think how old I was when I launched. I think I was 23 when I launched and I thought that all my customers were going to be 23 as well. I thought they were going to be, you know, my friends um, and sort of late teens, early 20s. Um, that's why I designed the little clutch bag. Um, but I soon realised that once I launched and I bought out the rucksack, the rucksacks were selling a lot more than the clutch bags. And I also then realised, you know, a year or two later that my customer was actually much older than I am. My customer was actually my mum's age and my mum's friend's age. So I completely changed. Um, and that was a massive, massive learning curve and really, really helped a lot in the business. Um, so I then went back to the drawing board and changed quite a lot. I changed the branding um, and I changed my key product, which is now the rucksack. Um, so, yeah. That is really interesting. And do you have yeah. any sense on why that is but how that came to be I mean do you think it was like the price point attracted a different customer or, yeah or, yeah do, do you have any sense of, is that what it was I think the only thing I can put it down to is price point really um yeah I suppose and the fact that obviously the rucksack is such a good bag because the the design I don't know the customers that have the rucksack rave about it I've never had anyone return the rucksack um touch wood <laughs> um yeah it's just a brilliant bag so I think a the price point it's lower now than it was when I started when I first started I was selling them in stores as well and I was doing trade shows I went down that route so obviously my markup had to be a lot higher um it's it is lower now but yeah I think back when I started with it being 75 pound obviously a lot of those um early 20 year olds couldn't afford it that makes total sense. I mean, when I think back, because I'm a lot older than you, when I think back to being in my early 20s, back then, I don't think I was that interested in sustainability and spending more on items and keeping yeah. them longer and all of that yeah. sort of thing. So I think that's probably something that's changed. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'll be honest, when I and admit this might just be me, but when I was younger, I didn't feel like I needed a rucksack to carry loads of stuff around it's actually having children for me that made that shift yeah um and I'm not saying it's only mothers who need rucksacks but that for me was the moment where I was like oh suddenly I have to carry a whole load more stuff than I ever did definitely and I actually bought out a handbag I I hadn't done a you know traditional sort of handbag until a couple of years ago and it it didn't flop but it didn't sell anywhere near as much as the rucksack so again you know I started off with a clutch bag it sold okay, but not as much as the rucksack. Then I brought out the rucksack, which sold really well. And then I went back and thought, I'll try a handbag this time. And again, the handbag didn't sell anywhere near as much as the rucksack. And after speaking to my audience, they were all just saying, we don't use a handbag. I don't take a handbag out. I, I need a rucksack. I need to be hands-free. So yeah, again, I just stuck with the rucksack. <laughs> That's really interesting. And it's really, I think it's a real credit to you that you have like listened to people and sort of designed the collection with your customers in mind because I think it can be really tempting to be for example oh I really like handbags so I'm going to design this bag that I really like and yeah. be a little bit oblivious to the fact that actually it's not you know it's not hitting the mark with what people are looking for yeah. especially when you're designing something and you like feel you know you might love it for example yeah so I think that's really good that you have taken all the feedback on board because it is a hard thing to do I mean yeah I don't think it's easy to put all that time and effort into something and then be like, oh, people aren't actually buying that. That is yeah. that is hard. I it don't know, we're like glossing over it, but that's not an easy thing to come no, to terms with, I don't hard. think. And especially because I can only afford to really bring out one new bag a year. Um, 
sometimes it's been even less than that and it's been one every sort of 18 months or I've had a couple of times where I've launched two a year but yeah it's such a long time and it takes a lot of money to save up obviously to launch a new a new bag um so if it doesn't do as well as I hope then obviously yeah it's really really disheartening yeah so I just yeah I did want to bring that up because I know we're, we're sort of talking about it really casually but it is yeah it's hard yeah, so I just yeah. wanted to say that I think it's great that you've kind of embraced that as well and you didn't just continue push it so w- with the lines that haven't done as well do you still sell them now do you manufacture smaller quantities um no the ones that haven't done as well I've, I've sort of just let them them sell I never order huge amount of stocks huge quantities anymore um that is one of the lessons that I learned early on my first ever batch I over ordered and I had loads um and they lasted me years but I've learned from that lesson and now I don't I don't order um, much so the handbags that didn't do great um they they sold eventually but no I won't be bringing them back that sounds like a really good model though so ordering smaller quantities because I assume that if something so for example your rucksacks sell well you can then increase the quantities but I think doing like small batches of production for something new makes total sense and I guess hopefully you're at a position with your suppliers where you can do that um yeah still not as small as I'd like but um yeah because you said early on you overordered, but I think that's a lot of us in the early days because I think suppliers don't necessarily always make it easy for you to order small batches because obviously, no. especially when it's a brand new product to them and they might have to do tooling or molds or yeah. whatever the thing is. And they I, didn't obviously even try, to... I didn't even try to negotiate. So when they said 300 pieces per colour, per style, I was like, okay, we'll go, we'll go with that then. Yeah, that's fine. 300. So that means I've got like 1200 total which was just way, way, way too many. You know, I had a container full of bags and I just started, had no idea how I was going to sell them. Uh, whereas now I, I do negotiate and I get them down lower. I think you don't know what you don't know though. And I think especially early on, so I used to manufacture my own products and I had no idea the first time I placed an order that I could negotiate. Yeah. I had no idea that that yeah. was a thing and that I could, and it sounds like now just so obvious, but you just don't, you just no. don't know. You don't offend them either. No, I think when you're, when you're new to something as well, I think you almost um, take, you almost assume that everyone else knows better than you. And if they're yeah. saying that number, that must be the number because yeah. that's the number you're told. Yeah. So I think it takes a little bit of confidence to kind of go, well, actually that doesn't work for me. Yeah. And I think it's worth so for people listening to know that most of the time, I think people are open to negotiation. You may not, as you've said, get down to the number you'd like, but there no. usually is a middle ground between the number they want and the number you want. Yeah, definitely. And the same on the price as well. I always try and get them down a little bit. They they will often sort of ask what the budget or what the target price is and not necessarily can they reach that, but um, it's good for them to ask and for you to sort of nudge towards it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's good to have those conversations even yeah. if you don't end up exactly where you want to yeah. be hopefully you'll, you'll end up a bit near that and I think it's yeah. also worth knowing you can do that in your first order as well you don't have yeah. to wait to your second or third or whatever no. because presumably um all manufacturers still want business and still want new business or they wouldn't be having serious conversations exactly. with you about you know about your product yeah. yeah so when you had just out of curiosity when you had a container full of of bags what were you doing in terms of storing them were they like did you have boxes all over your home? Or? No, again, thankfully, my dad has obviously got a factory um, and he's got a container that he has um, that I then took over. <laughs> so I've still got it, um, but I keep it 
a lot less full than it was. Back when I started, the container was full of boxes and my dad wasn't overly thrilled about it. Um, and yeah, nowadays it's a lot less. There's only, I don't know, maybe five or six boxes at a time in there now. Oh, okay. And I've also got a new summer house that my husband built for me in the garden. So the summer house has got, I keep like a few in there um, on hand so that I can obviously package up orders. So are you still doing your own fulfillment at the moment? Yes. Yeah, I'm still fairly small in, in terms of orders. Um, I only work part-time on the business at the minute. I don't have, I don't go to work full-time for a job, but um, I'm mum to two young boys. So it's very, it's still very much part-time. I actually, I was full-time in the business uh, when I first started. And now after having my two boys, I've obviously reduced my hours quite a lot. But the great thing about this type of business is that you can, you can do that. You can reduce your hours. And even if you get to a point where orders, and hopefully they will, hopefully you'll get to the point where orders increase. Yeah. You know, you're then in a position maybe where you can, you know, you can still reduce your hours. You just have to think about what can be outsourced. So exactly. Yeah. That is one of the advantages. While they're little, I'm sort of just working around them and it can be frustrating at times. And I do, yeah, I'm sort of like, oh, I just wish I could spend a little bit more time on work. Um, but I know that, you know, it goes so fast and they'll be at school before I know it. Well, next year, my my first little boy goes to school next year. So, yeah, there'll be more time to be had then. Uh, I totally relate. I mean, I try, my children are both at school, but I try still now to work around them and work within school hours. Some days yeah. I can, some days I can't. Yeah. But yeah, like you say, they do grow so fast and so things fast. change yeah. so quickly. Yeah. I think, yeah, as long as you're in a position where you're able to, yeah. I think, yeah, it makes it makes total yeah. sense. And as I say, the good thing about selling products is that it doesn't matter whether you package up orders at 10 o'clock at night or 10 no, a.m. Exactly. in the morning. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. Yeah. And I know on your website, so just change the subject ever so slightly. So I know on your website that you also sell some products that you that aren't your products, yeah. the products you've curated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. So why, how and when you made the decision to do that and how that side of the business works. So obviously with only being able to afford to bring out one new bag a year, roughly, um, I was getting to the point where I was sort of like feeling a little bit, I wouldn't say bored. Uh, what's the word? I was missing that sort of excitement of having something to launch. And I didn't want my customers getting bored and just, you know, hanging around waiting a year for a new bag. Um, so yeah, I decided to buy in some, um, I've tried a few different things, but at the minute on the website, I've got bag straps, um, key rings that I've bought from other small businesses, just little things that complement the bags that can obviously be sold alongside them. That makes a lot of sense because as you said, you want people to come back, but it's always easier to get someone to buy from you again than to search for a new yeah. customer. So I think that makes yeah. total sense and having things that complement your bags. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ideal. definitely. And I always have them when I do in-person events, um, when I do like Christmas markets and country fairs and things, I always had little things on the side there and I just never used to sell them on the website. Um, so it's sort of a recent thing that I've started stopping on the website as well. Um, just because I was finding at events my stands were looking a little bit bare without because I had such a small range of bags. Um, I just thought it was nice to add those little key rings and fun little accessories um, alongside them. Were those things selling at the events? Yes, especially towards Christmas time. I was finding that the, I mean, when I first started, I had these little, you know, the fluffy pom-pom key rings. 
that were really in a few years ago. I remember taking those to Christmas markets and was just selling so many of them, just one after the other, these these pom-pom key rings. Um, So, yeah, I've um, I've started doing just, you know, little different key rings, really. That makes total sense. And I think you're right. It's a nice addition as well because someone might buy a bag and then buy something to go with their bag. Yes. Yeah. And, and gifted, gifty items as well. Um, again, for Christmas, it's nice to have the option to sell something that can be easily gifted because sometimes a bag is quite a personal choice, isn't it? And I find a lot of people don't necessarily buy them as a gift. They usually buy them for themselves. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I'm thinking, I don't think I would buy a bag for someone unless I knew them really well, but a bag strap probably would take a chance on. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, well, thank you so much, Katie. I've got one more question before we finish, if that's yeah. all right. A question yeah, I ask everybody, yeah. which is what would your number one piece of advice be for other product creators? I would say that there is so many information out there and so many resources out there nowadays um, to help you learn things. Things like podcasts, like we're listening to now. Um, I absolutely love podcasts and have done since I started my business um, every day. Well, not so much anymore, but I used to listen to them daily um, on business topics. Again, find Facebook groups that um, have other business owners in or that help business owners. Um, because, yeah, there's just so much out there now to help you. So if you don't know something, just be open to learning it. Oh, that's great advice. Thank you. And I think you're right. And also there is so much free advice, isn't there? So I know like a podcast or a blog or a YouTube video might not be the entire answer, but actually for 80% of things, sometimes 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 even just listening to them gives, like I'll sit and listen to a podcast and it might even be anything related to bags or online shopping or anything, but I'll just hear something and think, oh, that's giving me an idea for something else. So then I'll quickly write yeah. a note on my phone to think, oh, go back to that one later because it can really start thinking, start coming up with ideas for things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, so, thank yeah. you again, Katie. It's been really good to talk to you. I'm going to link to your um, website in the show notes when this thank episode you. is live. It will be before Christmas, so everyone should go on there and look and see, <laughs> get some oh. ideas. And thank you very much. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.